having been shot. Um, that was a good thing for the persona, uh, of who I was, you know, and so, uh, I can remember thinking, man, I wish they'd cut my leg off because then I'd have a really cool peg leg. You can't fuss people to Jesus. You can't guilt them to Jesus. You can't shove Jesus down their throat. You can only love them to Jesus. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, High profile or low down. Stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. If you've ever met Jeff Stoltz, if you follow him on Instagram or Facebook, or if you've seen one of his films, this is going to shock you. Through high school, our next guest was an alligator shirt and penny loafer guy. (laughs) Yeah, if you've seen his picture, you know one that's funny. Episode R016 walks us through a series of transformations from preppy to biker dude, shot during a bar fight at the age of 19, and then from tough guy, motorcycle, club, power broker to a frequently arrested drug addict who spent three years living on the streets. And then Jeff found sobriety in church, even as he doubted stories about Jesus and redemption and what he terms all that stuff. Today, Jeff has returned to his biker roots. and This time, the club he leads rides for Christ's sake. Jeff is an actor, a ministry leader, a small business owner, husband, father, grandfather, and brother. Recently, I sat on the front row as this scruffy-looking biker stood in front of nearly 300 people and, through tears, shared his story of transformation. I am grateful to have him on our show. We're going to talk with Jeff about the minister in Nashville who loved bikers like him and refused to heap judgment and shame. This minister showed only love. Jeff walks us through the moment of clarity and the steps he took toward sobriety and toward faith. Jeff explains why he is on the road at least half of each month instead of sitting at home in his new recliner, relaxing and enjoying his grace-filled life. Hey, Jeff, thanks for inviting us into your life today, my brother. I am glad to be here. I really am honored. We met in one of your really long journeys, um, and that's kind of one of the the first questions that I want to ask is, where do you share your story and why? Well, you know, I'm I'm plugged into a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and part of the Celebrate Recovery ministry are testimonies. I mean, how better, you know, what, what better sales technique is there than a satisfied customer, right? So Celebrate Recovery uses that. You know, testimonies are are where we can experience real life change with folks. You know, it's 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 real New Testament Jesus stuff for me. So so the Celebrate Recovery Ministries uh nationwide. Uh, I'm kind of plugged in. I've been a state rep for that organization for about eight years. And so I'm plugged in around the country. You know, the Lord has given me a pretty, pretty strong testimony, pulling me out from a, a really lo- a pit of despair, you know, into a really great place in life, you know. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm blessed that, that I get invited to, to come around the country and, and share my story. You know, I've, I've been able to share at Celebrate Recovery Ministries across the country, as well as jails and prisons, uh, in institutions and in rehabs, even in high school and in elementary school uh, situations. I've been blessed to be able to go. So, so I, I share my testimony anywhere anybody will listen. You know, I tell them that uh, you know he pulled me out of the out of the ditch, and I can't shut up about it. And I do that because it reminds me. It reminds me, and I'll start to cry because it reminds me of where I've been and the depths of despair, you know, that I've been in 
And it reminds me that there are others out there that are in those depths of despair, you know, that, uh, that need that story of hope, that need to hear that change is possible and hope is real. So it's a blessing for me above all else. And I've had the privilege of being in a room recently where you shared your story because I too um, believe very much in Celebrate Recovery, which is kind of where we came up with the Reboots podcast. And I've heard you share your story, which is how we got hooked up. I know the impact that your story has on you and has on other people. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to share your story with our listeners. So tell me what your life's like today. What? How do you spend your weeks uh, when you're on the road, when you're not on the road? Oh, man, my life is fantastic today. And now don't get that confused with easy because easy and fantastic and incredible are completely different situations. So so my life is is a little bit complicated. Um, I actually own a business, Tile with Style. We're a, mainly a bathroom remodeling company in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I also, well, as I said earlier, I served as a state rep for Celebrate Recovery for eight years. I've recently given up that role to join the National Celebrate Recovery Team as the National Director of Broken Chains. Um, I also serve as uh, the national president of Broken Chains. Um, and my personal ministry is called the Motorcycle Missionary. And uh, that's where I I use that in order to raise the funds to be able to travel like I do, try to stay on the road at least two weeks out of the month, um, sharing the good news that change is possible. So I'm also an actor. And so, uh, so you know, I... I I'm, I'm I'm blessed these days that a lot of auditions are done through video. So I'm able to usually video my auditions that my agent gets for me and send them in. And, and then typically I don't have to go in person for those kind of things unless I get a call back, which isn't often enough. So uh, that's, that's a tough business. So, so I'm an actor, I'm a pastor, I'm a ministry leader, I'm a business owner, and I'm also a husband and a father. So so, wow. So, uh, you know, I, so my plate is full and, uh, and that's a good thing because an old drug addict like me doesn't need time on his hands. So, uh, so, you know, I, it, it's funny. I, I remember telling my mother before she passed away that I, I would always apologize that I'm so busy and, you know, and that, but that I have to do this. And she would say, well, if you weren't doing that, you'd, you'd do something else because that's just who you are. You just stay busy. So life's great. It's very satisfying. You know, uh, I, uh, I've surrendered to, to Jesus for me. That that's very important for me in my recovery in my life. Um, I sacrifice, I serve and I share and that leads to satisfaction. So, so me in and of myself, I'd probably rather be laid up on the couch watching TV every night. But uh, but it's not about me, and and so I've, I've traveled the country. I'm on the road, like I said, two weeks out of the month, sharing the good news. Other than that, I'm back home here, plugged into my church, my home, Celebrate Recovery, uh, the Broken Chains Ministry, which I'm setting in the actual Broken Chains uh, national offices, where we you know where we take in applications and process those. Um, we ship out gear. Um, you know, if you go to our Broken Chains website, you'll see. T-shirts and ball caps and patches and, you know, all that kind of stuff that, uh, that people order every day. And so, so it really takes, uh, takes a load of volunteers to help with that. I want to, I want to park the uh, broken chains because I, I want you to dive into that a little bit deeper okay. in a little bit. But first, let's just kind of, let's kind of go back several years. Sure. What, what was your life like? before it got all crazy and you were a drug dealer, as you said? Well, you know, I, uh, my life, my life as an adult, um, you know, was, was okay. I was, but I was a functioning addict and alcoholic, I would say. Um, I come from a great family, you know, uh, my mother was a credit union president, uh, for 47 years. 
My father was retired military who then went for civil service for 20 years, retired from there as well. I have a brother and I had two sisters and they were, you know, business people. And, but, uh, but I, I got a little crazy, you know, when I turned, uh, 18, I was a preppy guy in high school, alligator shirts and penny loafers. Uh, Wait, you know? what? That's right. That's right. <laughs> you could never tell. So, uh, so, you know, I was, I, I bought a cheap train, uh, uh, I bought a motorcycle for cheap transportation to work when I was, I guess, 18. And I picked up an easy rider magazine and, uh, I wanted to be one of those guys, man. I saw those guys with the long hair, the beards, the tattoos, and they didn't take no junk off nobody. And, uh, and being, I was a heavy kid that was picked on when I was young. And so that thought of being, going from being bullied to being the bully was kind of attractive for me. So, so I kind of came, I came up, I joined a motorcycle club when I was very young. Um, and, and rose to the, to the top as the president when I was very young. But I would even say, well, I was going to, you know, life wasn't too crazy then. I mean, it was crazy, but it got much crazier. Um, you know, so I was, I was a functioning addict. Um, I was involved in a lot of violent behavior. I guess I just went way past what you asked. You asked about life before. I guess that was back when I was, uh, in the first grade. <laughs> <laughs> Before I went really crazy, but I had a I had a great life. I really did. Growing up, my my father um, was a veteran, you know, and he fought in Korea and Vietnam both. And my mother was a professional lady. I was raised by my sisters and my brother, and they were kind and good to me. And so I had a great upbringing, you know. Other than the fact that I was a heavy kid, and and so I was made fun of and, and picked on a lot, and that I think that would uh, formulate my behavior later in life. So then you've, you've kind of alluded to where things kind of went off the rails. Just, man, well, how, I did. how do you, how do you get from preppy to motorcycle gang president? Well, you know, like I said, I, uh, you know, I, I bought a motorcycle for cheap transportation to work. I started hanging out at the biker bars. Um, I wanted to be one of those guys and I, and I soon became one of those guys. Uh, you know, I was in the military and, and uh, I remember I was shot in the leg. In fact, I'm sitting in a, uh, I'm sitting, my office is about two blocks from the the bar where I was shot in the leg back in when I was 19 years old. And, uh, and that would really, that would really take me down a road because I was off work for, I don't know, about six, eight months. And, and I spent all that time in the bars, you know, I was just in the bars every night. And of course, as a biker guy, having been shot, um, that was a good thing for the persona uh, of who I was, you know. And so uh, I can remember thinking, man, I wish they'd cut my leg off because then I'd have a really cool peg leg. And, and uh, you know, and it would go good with the whole outfit. But thank God they didn't. But <laughs> so I, I went down that path. And, and, of course, I've always I think one of God's gifts to me is leadership. And, uh, and so I, I knew I had to be the leader then. And so I did what it took to be the leader. And that was, that was being the, the toughest, meanest, nastiest, ugliest guy in the bunch, uh, is what it took. And so I did that. And, and so it really took me down a dark path. You know, I was, like I said, I was involved in a lot of really violent behavior, drug dealing, stabbing, shootings, kidnappings, uh, you know, a, a lot of things that uh, that happened back in those days. And a lot of people have paid the price for those things. A lot of the guys that I rode with went to prison. Uh, they're dead. They're uh, they're in institutions. So so I was blessed. God had a plan for me, obviously. Well, how do you get then from preppy to nasty son of a gun biker dude and back to Jesus loving, hard working biker <laughs> dude. What are we missing here, Jeff? I don't know. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. I, uh, so, so what that took was, you know, like I said, I was a functioning drug addict and alcoholic for a long time. And I owned a tile company then, a, you know, a remodeling company. And, uh, it was, it was in 2001. It was the, the, 
the first Christmas after my big sister died, who I was very close to. And, uh, and my wife and I had just divorced and, and it was, so it was basically going to be my first Christmas without my sister and without my daughter. And so I sent a guy off to get some, some cocaine on um, which I snorted regularly back then. I didn't smoke it because I knew I fired guys. I caught smoking because I knew they would begin stealing all my stuff, you know? So I knew better than that. But anyway, the guy came back. And he said, you know what? They didn't have any powder cocaine. So I had to get this crack. And so me being the smart guy that I am, like, like so many of us, I knew that I could handle it. You know, nobody else could handle it, but I could handle it. And so I smoked crack for the first time that Christmas. And that took me down a road that is just unimaginable. Um, I was a crack addict for six years. The last three of those years, I was homeless. Um, I was in and out of jail. I did whatever it took to get high. You know, I, I would rob people. Uh, I would, uh, you know, I would get violent with people. I would, you know, uh, rob stores, steal cars, write bad checks, stole from my family. Um, just, just, just it, you know, anything that it took to get high. And so, so in 2006, I was arrested over 30 times, which, which almost is unreal. I, you know, I don't know that the, I don't know why the bondsmen continued to bond me out and, you know, why ne- that was never revoked to those kind of things. But, but then in early 2007, I was arrested and I got out, you know, I was, uh, I was 44 years old. I had nothing except the clothes I was wearing and, and even they didn't fit. I don't know if you've ever been on drugs and you go to jail for a couple of months. You ain't wearing the same clothes you wore in out. So I got out and I had nothing. And my father had driven 550 miles from Fayetteville, North Carolina to come and pick me up from jail. And, uh, you know, I just knew something had to change. I knew something had to change. I was 44 years old. I wasn't going anywhere fast other than jail or the morgue. And so, uh, so I had what we call recovery, a moment of clarity. You know, I, I literally hit bottom and I had a moment of clarity and I made a decision to quit getting high. Now, how to do that? I had no idea. I've been getting high pretty much my whole adult life. And so, uh, so prior to, prior to going to jail, prior to being homeless, I'd met this biker preacher guy, Ray Elder, Doc Ray. And, uh, he just would come in the biker bars and hang out with us. You know, he was, uh, he didn't force feed anything to us about God or Jesus or the Bible. He was just kind to us, you know, and he was always there. And so three years later, I get out of jail. I make this decision to quit getting high. I don't know how to do it. And the only person I knew in Nashville, Tennessee that didn't use drugs was Doc Ray. So I called him and, uh, and he invited me to church. And so now, man, I still wouldn't bind into any of that Jesus talk. You see, I'm a smart guy. I'm way too smart for that kind of stuff. But, uh, but I knew I had to get around some other kind of people. You know, I knew I'd, I just, I couldn't go back around the, uh, the folks that I had been around. And so, so I showed up for church, man. And I, I was waiting for the judgment when I showed up there. In fact, I was counting on the judgment because I wanted to have a reason to not go back. I didn't want to spend my Sundays at a, locked into a church, you know, I wanted to be able to sleep in and do what I wanted to do. But phew, see, I gotta watch it because I'll get all choked up again. You know, I walked in that church that day and those folks, they were uh there was no judgment. They just loved me, man. They loved me in a way that I've never been loved in my whole life. They loved me with the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, you know, I was the youngest guy there. It was all older folks in the church. It was, you know, I had hair down on my waist. I didn't fit in in any way, <laughs> but, uh, but man, those people loved me and I'll never forget. So there was this, there were this group of, of older ladies. Well, I got to tell you this story. Then I'll go back to my salvation experience. So <laughs> there was this, this group of older ladies. They were all widows, you know, in their seventies and eighties. And they would take me out to lunch every Sunday. Me and, and all these, these older ladies. And then when we'd come back to the church and play dominoes and I was the only guy 
And, uh, you know, I would make those ladies laugh and they would just love on me. And, and uh, anyway, God knew what I needed. That was such a sweet time in life, you know, that they that they would do that for me. But so anyhow, uh, I'll back up a little bit. So I went to church that first Sunday. Uh, I was blown away by the love and acceptance that I felt there. So I decided to come back the following Sunday. And so the next Sunday, you know, I really didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I really wasn't buying in still to the whole Jesus thing or God thing. You know, I just knew these were nice people. You know, even if it wasn't real, I figured they're nice people. You know, I need to be around these folks. So so I, I rolled in the next Sunday. It was April 22nd, 2007. And, uh, man, it was crazy. It's even really hard to describe. You know, I didn't... Uh, I didn't raise my hand for an altar call. I didn't come forward. Um, I didn't do any of those things that we traditionally hear in a church. But, you know, I really, you know, to be honest, I don't tell a whole lot of people this. So keep it to yourself. But uh, so to be honest, it was like Jesus Christ himself was sitting right next to me in the pew. And uh, and I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> you know, I mean, that probably may not be a popular thing, but. It was, it was like he was telling me, it's just time. It's just time. You just have to do this. And, uh, you know, I'll just never forget that day. It was just an incredible day. My life was changed forever after that day. Wow. People tell me, they say, man, I, I wish my faith were as strong as yours. I hear that a lot of times. Well, you know what? It's just so real. You know what I mean? Jesus Christ spoke to me. He was with me. Um, he has changed me. Um, I know me. See, that's why it's so easy for me to believe because I know who I was. Um, and, and, and I'm not that person. You know, I'm a new creation and I know that. And, and so I have some people, you know, that, that have been good Christians their whole life. They've, they've always had faith, you know, and they come to me and they say things like, well, man, I wish I had a testimony like yours. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> no, you don't. Um, you know, the amount of grace that I enjoy and people like me enjoy and know people like that can never know grace like that. They've never experienced grace like that. But now what I would say to those folks is they're the ones that have towed the line their whole lives. I'm nothing to emulate. They are, they are the ones to emulate. I did nothing but give into the world most of my life and, and give into myself and my, my sinful flesh nature, you know, um, all the things that, that I just wanted to do that, that weren't good for me, that weren't, weren't right. And, and you know, and a lot of those folks, man, they've held on to the, to the right thing all along, not knowing the kind of grace that I know, you know, so I, I envy those, those folks and, and what they have. But now I wouldn't get, now I would never want to live through it again, but I would never want to give up the, the love and the, and the grace that I feel from Jesus because, you know, Scripture even says, you know, those who are forgiven much love much. You know, I, I, the guy that's forgiven the $50 debt or the $5,000 debt, I mean, who's more grateful? So, uh, so you know, I am very grateful. And, and I believe that's one of the reasons I can't stop. I don't slow down. People say, man, my wife even says, you know, slow down. I can't. I can't. He's done so much for me. And, and I would be dead or in prison if it weren't for him. So what am I doing I'm just living the life that he's given me. Where would your life be if you had gotten what you expected out of that church experience? Oh, I'd be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. There's no doubt. In fact, the charges that I was caught for should have imprisoned me for the rest of my life. Um, the encounters that I had with drug dealers and others should have put me in the grave. I, I So... Just the fact that none of that happened prior to this is truly incredible. So if, if I had walked away from that church, there's not a doubt in my mind that I would have been back on dope. I would have been back on the streets and, and I would have been dead or in prison soon. What advice or encouragement do you have for people who would be scared to death of a guy like you, rightfully so? What advice or encouragement would you have for, for, just how to treat somebody like the old you? Well, you know, I think we have to be smart. You know, I, I heard, uh, I think it was John Townsend at a Celebrate Recovery Summit years ago talk about, uh, you know, the Bible says there's three kinds of people. There's, there's fools, there's wise people, and there's evil people. 
And the Bible talks about that. So the cool thing is there's hope for fools. Um, you know, fools can become wise people. You and I are living proof of that, right? So, um, but there are also evil people, you know, unfortunately that they're out there. So you know, I'd say you have to show the love of Christ, but you also have to be cautious too. You know, there's a, just, just be kind and caring to people, but don't be codependent. You know, yeah. you know, don't be gullible. Um, but, but, you know, it doesn't cost anything to show the love of Christ. It doesn't cost anything to talk to somebody and be loving and accepting. You know what? And no one ever got violent with me because I said, hello. And how are you doing? And that kind of pivots us to the broken chains ministry. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're paying homage to the minister who loved on you and all your friends all these years and never expected anything in return. You know, that's, uh, that's so true because, uh, we call him Doc Ray. And, you know, my desire is to be a Doc Ray in somebody's life. You know, I want to, I just want to love people to Jesus. You know, you can't, you can't fuss people to Jesus. You can't guilt them to Jesus. You can't shove Jesus down their throat. You can only love them to Jesus. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, Broken Chains, we're a fellowship of bikers who found hope and healing in Jesus Christ through the ministry of celebrate recovery, helping others to realize that change is possible. And one of the byproducts of this, this biker fellowship that, that I'm blessed to be the leader of, um, is that the bikers can see that it's okay to be a biker and, and, and love Christ, love Jesus, love God. You know, I was talking to a guy earlier today another biker guy who's involved in Celebrate Recovery. And uh, he's been kind of in the background watching Broken Chains grow. He's not joined yet, but he's thinking about joining. And uh, and him and I were talking because, you know, for nine years after I got saved and sober, I was, uh, I've been a biker my whole life, but I had put that lifestyle behind me. And, and so I was still wearing a mask. And so just about a year and a half ago, you know, God told me it's okay to be a biker. As long as I do it for his glory. And so, so one of the byproducts of the whole broken chains organization is we're breaking that stigma about bikers. Not only we're breaking that for bikers who think they have to give up that life if they become a Christian, because you know, man, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing a more, uh, fulfilled biker life than I ever lived before Christ. Um, you know, and showing those other folks out there that everybody that looks like this, that's covered with tattoos and has long hair and a beard and can take their teeth out is not bad. <laughs> oh, gracious. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's God, God is using me in ways. He's using me in incredible ways, you know, to, to be who I love to be and to let other people know it's okay for them to be who they are too. Um, God is good, man. God has been so good in my life. Does Broken Chains, besides providing a fellowship for fellow believers who are a little bit different from uh, the the yuppie preppy guy that you thought you were, but does it also does it also train people like you and your friends and your motorcycle ministry to be like Doc Ray? I mean, are, are there, is your dream to have Doc Rays in every biker bar in the country? Well, that would be awesome. Uh, but that's not really my dream. So that my dream is for me, uh, to, to be a Doc Ray to other folks. The really cool thing about Broken Chains is we're not all from a hardcore biker past. There are a lot of Broken Chains members who are that preppy guy, but they love to ride a motorcycle. And so they, uh, but they get to use that as a tool. You know, we wear the patch on our back or the t-shirts. Um, and I'm telling you, my, you know, you met me share my testimony in Arkansas. Well, I rode almost 4,000 miles on that trip. I shared at 10 celebrate recoveries. You know, the big ministry wasn't at those celebrate recoveries. The big ministry was at the gas pumps. The big ministry was the, the, the wait staff at the cracker barrel the hotel desk clerks, the gas station attendants. 
been those folks that look and say, Broken Chains, what's that? And bam, you know what? It gives me an opportunity to say, you know what? 10 years ago, I was a homeless crack addict. God changed everything in my life through the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. Let me invite you. There's got to be one close by. We can look it up on the app. And so I leave them with a shop rack that has a full version of the Serenity Prayer in the Broken Chains website. They go on there. That directs them to the Celebrate Recovery website. So my biggest, my dream for Broken Chains is to have an army of hope dealers that are out there sharing the good news. You know, I've heard it said the good news for broke people is they don't have to be broke. The good news for blind people is they don't have to be blind. And the good news for hurting people is the change is possible. And so that's the good news that we share. That's what we want to share to everybody out there. Change is possible. Hope is real. I have two questions about your road trip. The first one is is just a, an odd curiosity. Putting that many miles on your bike, does that hurt the leg where you got shot? Not really. I've got a pretty comfortable motorcycle, and that's a beautiful thing. God has provided me with a uh, with a really nice bike, and now I do ride a trike. And uh, a lot of people give me a hard time about that. You know, so they have electric glides, they have road glides, tour glides, and they call mine the geezer glide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh I do have a two-wheel motorcycle at home still that I blast around town on because there's it's a difference in the ride with the trike and the two-wheeler. But but I do. I have a beautiful motorcycle. I don't have to put my feet down and put the weight on my legs. So that helps. I also, that same leg that I got shot in, some guys took a ball bat to. And, uh, you know what I mean? I've, so I've had some crazy stuff going on. <laughs> but yeah. the, the, the trike is, is comfortable and comforting. It's even got... And it's got a stereo system, so I listen to uh, Christian fiction novels while I'm riding, you know, and uh, the, the deliver the gospel in a unique way. I love that. And you listen to Reboot's podcast now, I hope. Absolutely. <laughs> Who would not listen to the Reboot's podcast? Okay. I hear they got some incredible guests. Yeah, like Jeff. Okay, <laughs> here's my next question about the road trip. You posted to Instagram um, a um, just a little legal pad where you'd written some scriptures one day and talk about what happened when you had an encounter with uh, the cleaning staff who encountered that. Oh, you made me cry again. Um, you know, I, I was working on my sermon. I, I, I gave a word at White's Ferry Church, White's Ferry Road Church in West Monroe, Louisiana, Louisiana. You're going to say that right. I'll get in trouble. It's West Monroe. West Monroe, not yeah. Monroe, Monroe, <laughs> uh, in Louisiana, and uh, and so I was I was working on my sermon, and so I had some scriptures wrote on a notepad on the on the desk, and and so I left that day, and and I usually don't have my room cleaned when I'm traveling like that because I'm you know I'm a fairly neat person myself, and I just have st- you know I have my computer in there and stuff, and so I, <clears throat> I usually put the do not disturb sign, but when I was leaving that morning, I. Was, I saw the uh, some ladies out there, and they asked if I needed anything. And I said, you know what? That I could use the the trash empty. And so, obviously, when I got back, you know, uh, they were outside, you know, down down the way a little ways. And and the the lady said, oh, you know, we we got your got your trash cleaned out for you. She said, and by the way, she showed me her hands. She said, I wrote down those scriptures that were on that pad that you had written down because I really needed that today. And I want to go look those up. And uh, oh man, what an incredible experience, you know, to know that, that God just uses everything. He just uses everything. I was so blessed, you know, that there's some scriptures I just wrote on a notepad and left on a desk and it, let those ladies go into my room that day because that wasn't something I would do. But, you know, God used that. God knew she needed to see those scriptures, man. And, uh, it was just incredible. And then I was able to pray with those ladies and to leave them with both with a shop rag and a copy of the movie Home Run. Bam! Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you something else. Um, I sat on the front row of Community Bible Church Celebrate Recovery the night you shared your story recently. And beyond just the drama 
the real life drama behind your story and the redemption and the story of hope that you shared. The thing that that still sticks with me, even as I talk to you now, is here's this this guy who admittedly has lived a really violent life. And here you are now, you're, you break at the drop of a hat. There is such, Jeff, there's such tenderness that, that, um, gosh, now we're both crying, brother. (laughs) (laughs) It's good stuff. Um, how do you explain that transformation other than a supernatural relationship with the divine creator? You can't explain it. You can't explain it other than that. You know, the gratitude that I have for the life I've been given. It's remarkable. You know, I have a father in heaven that loves me. That loves me so much that, uh, you know, he allowed me to, to make a huge mess. But the minute I turned to him, the minute I turned to him, he made everything better. And he continues to make everything better. And it's, it's incredible. And it's touching. You know, he gave me a soft heart. He let me feel emotions that I never felt in my life. And uh, so the tears are good. They're good. That's good because we both got a lot of them right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, crazy. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone who loves someone like the old you and is at their wit's end and they have no idea how to help someone through an addiction? You know, I just had a mother and a daughter in my office earlier today. Um, You know, the daughter is an addict. And, uh, you know, as a recovery pastor, it's not a very popular thing sometimes because what I have to tell the loved ones is never quite what they want to hear, you know. Um, And they're the ones that look right. I hear from more loved ones than I do from addicts, you know, uh, because they want help. But... So the, the advice that I have to give them is to let that loved one, to love them enough to let them suffer the consequences of their actions. You've got to let them suffer the consequences. The only thing that I ever see precipitate change are consequences. Um, you know, God loves us enough not to keep us from all the mess, to let us deal with the consequences of the mess, because that's where we learn. You know, again, I'll refer back to, uh, I don't know if it was Henry Cloud or John Townsend. I love them both so much. But so when you tell an addict you need to get sober, but you're giving them a place to live, food to eat, um, then they don't really need to get sober. The truth is you need them to get sober. So what happens with consequences is it turns the need for them to get sober into their own. So, you know, I'm not going to do it until I'm ready to do it. That adage, you know, is not going to do it until they're ready to do it. So I would say, love them enough. You don't have to turn your back on them. You know, people get really mixed up, you know, with this codependency issue. You don't have to turn your back on somebody to love them enough to let them suffer the consequences of their actions. So, uh, so that's, that's the tough part. You know what? It took me, you thought after a week on the streets, I would have got it, but it took three years as a homeless guy for me to get it. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got to let, you've got to let your loved ones be, be adults and, uh, and trust God with them, you know, give them to God, trust God with them. Because the truth is, if we really believe it's all good, it's all good. No matter what. So many times in recovery, we have people come into the program so that they can help that loved one. And if they'll just stick it out for a few weeks, they realize I need help too, right? Right. That's right. You know, that we all, we all are hurting. 
especially the families of addicts, you know, uh, man, they're hurting, man. You know, we're all hurting and that hurt, uh, manifests itself in many different ways. And it could be through relationship problems or anger issues or pornography or gambling or drugs or alcohol or, you know, overeating. There's just a myriad of ways that those things manifest themselves. But the truth is we all need recovery because what I've learned, and I know everybody listening is not a Christian and that's fine. But for me, I've learned that, that the recovery, the ultimate healing is at the cross. And so the Christ-centered 12 steps and eight principles of celebrate recovery are a pathway to the cross. And so that's why it works for everything, not just drugs and alcohol, because there's healing at the cross. And that's where those 12 steps have led me to and led so many others to. So, uh, so yeah, we all need, we all need recovery. It's discipleship. Yeah. And, and it's also, it's also modeling Christ, you know, that, that, I've I've had issues with church and judgment, just feeling judged in a church or feeling like I ought to conform. And so while I've never rejected God, there have been many times, and I still struggle with, it made my inventory cultural Christianity and judgmental Christians. I have a problem with it. And what I found when I walked through the doors of my Celebrate Recovery was imperfect people working to model the love of Christ. I am learning to model the love of Christ because the irony is that while I was judging people for not modeling the love of Christ, although they claim to, I was doing the same thing to them. Uh, yeah, that's right. What the heck? <laughs> you know, I always tell people we're just a bunch of screwed up people that love Jesus. And, uh, yeah, you're exactly right, man. It's easy to <laughs> it's easy to fall into the trap, isn't it? Yeah. So tell tell me this um, about your recovery and about the habits. Like, are there a certain set of rituals or habits that you perform every day on the road or at home that is sort of like um, the canary in the coal mine? So that, like, if one or two of these things kind of drop off of your daily habits that you realize maybe there's a problem and I need to straighten it out. Yeah. I have to eat biscuits and gravy every day or I know there's, <laughs> don't tell my wife. No, uh, no, I do. I, I have to have some time alone with God every day. Um, I have to have prayer time every day and I have to, Take stock every day, do an inventory, if you will. So I, I do my maintenance steps, you know, and so I have to look back over the day and, and where, where I was wrong, promptly admit it. You know, I uh, trying to hold on to those things, you know, scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and so I've learned uh, somebody else's behavior doesn't have to dictate my behavior. So, so that for me, that's huge to, uh, to come clean every day come clean every day of, of those things where I was wrong, you know, and, and get that out there. Now, some of the people listening might say, wait a minute, eat it. What <laughs> up? But that is, and, and you know, that time alone with God, I have to have some time alone with God every day. Um, you know, because he's my best friend and, uh, you know, I need that. I need that. What good in your life exists today that would never have happened had you not walked through the darkness? Well, I can take that question in a couple of different ways, but, uh, you know, my, the fact that I have a wonderful wife, uh, that God intended for me, we've had our struggles too, but, uh, but, you know, I, I can see very clearly that she is exactly who God intended for me. And, uh, in our ministry together is a direct result of walking through the darkness, you know, um, I would not have a relationship with my daughter, uh, today who stopped in to see me yesterday with, with, uh, with her daughter, my granddaughter and, uh, her soon to be husband. And, um, you know, some, I mean, everything, everything, everything good in my life would not, would not be here. I wouldn't have been able to be there for my parents, both of them. Um, as they dealt with illness and death, uh, you know, I, 
my big sister that, uh, that I haven't always had a great relationship with. You know, we, we talk, we pray together every morning. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, there's just so much. There's, there's so much, so much. Do, do we get, how many hours do we have on this podcast? Cause I could go on and on. You know, that, that life is grand, man. Life is just so good with Jesus Christ. And, you know, I mean, I have, a, I have a nicer motorcycle than I ever had in my life. I rode 35 years. I have a nicer motorcycle than I ever had in my life. I have friends that don't need anything from me. They want to get something to me. You know, uh, I have people that love me all over the country. You know, used to when people heard I was coming, they closed the doors and left town. <laughs> and now people invite me to come all over the country. It's just... It's supernatural. See, it's not natural. It's, a, it's supernatural. It's good stuff. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone who hasn't quite found that moment of clarity yet, but knows they desperately need it? Well, that's a tough one. You know, um, I would say you have to get to a place where you make that decision. You know, and, and I tell my sponsees that, I tell other addicts that, you know, it, it starts with a decision. And you, you have to get to that place where you're ready to make that decision. And uh, just like I told the young lady earlier today, I, me and your mom can't talk you into getting sober. You have got to want it. And you've got to want it so bad you're willing to do anything for it because it's not easy. Sobriety is not easy. And so, so I would say, make that decision, man, and stick with it. You know, that was, I always say recovery is a decision followed by a process. The decision without the process ain't getting you too far. Um, the process without the decision ain't getting you too far. You have to make that decision. Then you have to do whatever it takes, um, you know, to get on the right path. I'm sober 10 and a half years now. I'm in meetings every week, every week. I still need to be there. I'm involved in church every week because I need to be there. Uh, I have accountability partners. I have a sponsor. Uh, I sponsor guys. Um, all those things that it takes. And like I said earlier, is that everything that I want to do in life? No, but it's what I need to do in life. And so if you want, if you're to that place or you're close to that place and you want to get sober, get your life on the right track, it's possible. But, uh, but you got to be willing to do what it takes. For you, then, a reboot is all of the above. A moment, maybe a coincidence, a choice, or even a series of choices. And so a, is a reboot something that happens all the time? I mean. I don't think it's something that happens all the time, um, unfortunately. Uh, but it's something that could happen all the time. See, it's up to, it, it's up to us, you know. When, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that got me salvation. That got me eternity, but it didn't get me a bit of freedom here in this life. That comes through the process. That comes through working out the process. And so the 12 steps, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, I asked somebody one time, why do the 12 steps work for people who don't believe in Jesus? And she said, because they're God's principles and his principles always work, whether you believe in them or not. So, uh, so I say, you have to be willing to submit to the process for the reboot. To, you know, otherwise you need another reboot, right? It's like a computer. You know, you can reboot it, but if you don't fix the problem, you just have to continue to reboot it and continue to reboot it. So take the reboot, man. And then, and then, and then install the AVG antivirus, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, I wish it happened for everybody all the time, but you know what? I think it really takes a desire. Yeah. Normally right here, I would ask uh, if you have a specific tool, a book, a scripture, a movie, TV show, or anything like that. Um, you're welcome to weigh in on that, but I I'm really interested in making sure that our listeners know how to plug in with you or the Broken Chains ministry. How does one do that? 
Well, uh, we have a couple of websites. You can go to uh, brokenchainsjc.com. You can go to MotorcycleMissionary.com. That's my personal ministry website. But, uh, you know, there is a great movie, and I happen to be in it, uh, called Home Run. And I think Home Run is a really good movie to introduce folks to celebrate recovery and the power that that uh, Jesus Christ shows through that ministry. I think that's 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 a great movie. Um, other than that, you know, my favorite book is the Bible. And, uh, you know, I happen to love the celebrate recovery Bible, man, because it's a great resource for anybody that's dealing with stuff you know it has recovery stories for people back in the in the in the biblical days you know that because they struggle too man it's, it's a you know it's a human situation not not a generational thing i mean this it's a human condition i guess would be the right word so uh so i'd love for anybody to reach out we got a facebook page too uh broken chains bikers who found open healing in jesus christ and you know and so on so you can check that out. And, uh, you know, we're just, like I said, we're just a bunch of screwed up people that love Jesus, trying to do the best that we can. You know, I just want, like you said about the reboots, I want everybody to know. Now, everybody may not reboot, but I want everybody to know that change is possible. It's possible. So can I tell you something? Sure. My life is better because of your obedience. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, you made me cry again. Thank you, Trace. I appreciate that. You know, there's there's nothing more. I would say more better. I feel like right there's nothing more better than knowing that God has used you to touch somebody's life. And that's what you just said to me. So thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Glory. <laughs> we are so grateful for Jeff's powerful story of transformation. If you're interested in writing for Christ, reach out to Jeff and his team through BrokenChainsJC.com. Now, if you're like me and you enjoy the comforts of heated seats and climate control and traveling, but you are looking for a community who will love and accept you without judgment, check out the CelebrateRecovery.com website for a weekly meeting near you. Now, a note about Celebrate Recovery. Jeff is on the national team, and I attend a Celebrate Recovery program at Community Bible Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. In no way do I personally represent Celebrate Recovery's leadership team. I work my steps on a daily basis, and I do serve as a local volunteer. If this story has helped you in some way, would you let us know? And do you know someone who could benefit from hearing Jeff's story? Share it, would you? I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, RebootsPodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.